Small Business and Startup Stories DSM features conversations with small business owners who share both their victories and failures on their path to success. Small Business and Startup Stories DSM is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash smallbusiness. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell. Stephen Brockshus, welcome to Startup Stories. So Farmland Finder helps people sell farmland in a very unique and beneficial way. Um, before your product came to market, tell us what it was like to, quote unquote, sell grandma's farm. Um, <laughs> take us through what went on, because there was good and there was bad. Oh, absolutely, Mike. Um, when you think about farmland traditionally, uh, the person who owned the farm was also the person who was farming the farm. And so usually um, it was the producer who would you know, get that ground or it was uh, a sign on the side of the road that said for sale um, or it was selling to the neighbor. And you still drive around the countryside here and you see some of those signs for sale. Auction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> land for auction, land for sale. Yeah. Um, you know, and you look at that, the, just the dynamics of the industry are changing. We're seeing more absentee landowners than ever before, um, where, you know, the older generation passes away. They give the farm to their kids. Um, and those folks don't live there anymore. They're not farming anymore. Um, they live hours away. And so that's created this really interesting um, opportunity and um, even more interesting opportunity in the future where, you know, less people who own the ground actually live close to the ground. Yeah. And in that world, you know, those folks are needing access to, you know, people to help farm it, people to sell their ground to. They need those local connections, that local boots on the ground expertise, um, but they don't have it because they haven't lived at home for, you know, a decade or longer. Well, I think a lot of people, I grew up around farms. We owned farms. We didn't live on them. Um, but a lot of people didn't realize how much coercion went on in some of those small farm communities when, you know, Bessie's farm went for sale and Hank passed away 10 years ago and everybody kind of decided to make sure that the auction went a certain way. Because <laughs> yeah, you had limited bidders, let's face it. You know, the mm-hmm. people are going to bid on that land or the people that lived around it that knew it. Mm-hmm. And like everything in this world, there are great people and there are some people whose morals I question uh, <laughs> to be kind about it. But that was part of the problem. Well, it, limited market. It, it is limited market. Um, I think the other thing that's always a challenge, especially in really hyper-local markets, is uh, those are people you go to church with. Those yeah. are people you see every single day that you're going to school with. And uh, I was at an auction one time, you know, where the 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 land was going up for sale. Um, it was absentee landowner. I said, we're going to bid it because we don't want to have to worry about you know, any of the, these dynamics. And then uh, the current tenant goes and sits in the front of the room and no one bids against them because people feel like they're stealing the tenant's land. It, technically, it's not. It's the no, landowner's land, but they're the person who's been farming it forever. And there's all these local dynamics at play um, that make it really difficult um, or kind of create um, some confusion. Um in, in those markets. And so it's interesting as you start to where we started about two and a half years ago, uh, bringing some transparency into the industry, yeah. showing people data uh, and numbers and, instead of, oh, I think that land's worth 10,000 bucks an acre. I heard another property sold around that. Um, you know, yeah. it, it, it creates this market where there's more of a level playing field for you know people locally who can use data um, to their advantage and also people who live far away. And that was, was that your original goal when you first started? I mean, because I've known you since right after you started this mm-hmm. and actually the company even had a different name. But when you first started, what's now Farmland Finder? What was your primary goal? What drove you then? Yeah, really, our mission when we started was to make the world's farmland information accessible. At at that point in time, um, there was no multiple listing service for agricultural real estate like there is for residential. There's no aggregator sites like Zillow or Trulia. 
Um, and so we created that. That's what we set out to do. And um, we've been able to do that really well and do that at scale. We provide coverage across the entire Midwest now. Right. Um, and now we're asking that question, you know, what's the highest and best use for this data? Once you have that together and people have access to it, um, what interesting things can you do with that? Or how can you alleviate some pain you know, in the actual transaction process itself? And so mm-hmm. that's what we really get excited about for the future. So take us up to today, how things change with the product and with the company. Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, it's the actual mock-ups that I had drawn on a, a sheet of paper in my notebook, um, you know, almost four or five years ago. And the product today looks eerily similar. Really? Um, but the business model, the value proposition, how we deliver that to customers, who our customers are, um, it's been a big learning process. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would be very unique if you didn't say that. I, yeah, think I hear that every time. Yeah. It is a learning process. And I think that's something entrepreneurs have to understand is you're going to enter a learning process. Mm-hmm. You oh, it's you, you think you know, but you don't know. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, and then you also just see, you know, real life, you know, experiences once you get it in customers' hands or you start getting actual market feedback right. that really hones in just the story that you start, there's a narrative that everyone tells themselves about their business. Right. Um, and that narrative um, can hinder you or it can open up the world of opportunities. And as our narrative has shifted, you know, even though the product and the product has changed, it's improved over time. Um, but the narrative that we tell ourselves and the narrative of where this actually fits in the market, um, which is different than our initial assumptions were, um, is a much larger opportunity than we initially set out. Um, thinking That's a about. good thing because sometimes you find out the market's smaller than you. <laughs> and part of that larger opportunity has been your team you and your team going what talking to people that traditionally hadn't been involved in the process i've been thinking about venture capitalists or private equity i'm sorry private equity people that are mm-hmm. are the large-scale absent landowners and you've kind of pivoted some of that around or added that into the product as well tell me a little bit more about that yeah really when we look at our product today there's two sides of it um, three sides of it we have um, some digital tools for uh, landowners and farmland professionals um, one side of that tool set they can access data about the market see comparable land sales what land selling for generate automated reports on properties um, we feed into some automated automated valuation models for okay. them and so those folks are you know farmers landowners um, brokers appraisers um, ag lenders really anyone who touches that buying, selling, valuing of farmland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got a more hands-on tool. It's called our data management tools, okay. where you have those private equity farmland investment funds or large ag lending institutions that are analyzing properties at scale. Um, they can input their data into our platform and generate automated reports, automated valuations. And it cuts down really the administrative time um, just to a couple of clicks. And yeah. so it's been exciting to see that over time. And we didn't realize that when we first started, we thought we we're going to sell to farmers and landowners because sure. that's who my dad and grandpa were. And what you they wanted uh, a tool that could do something like this, right? Um, you know, and now as time's gone on, we've seen, hey, there's these more larger B2B um, sales opportunities on the SaaS side of the business. Um, and that's kind of gotten us up until probably about the last six months. And it was back in January of this year, we expanded our footprint of collecting data and making it accessible from one state to 12 states across the Midwest. And that's opened up the world of opportunities. It was really interesting. Um, it was back in March or April, just through our customer service channel on our website. Um, we started getting these messages from almost all of them were absentee landowners and saying, hey, we're following your site. Um, we can see really good information 
you know, do you help people sell their ground too? Mm. Uh, what does that look like? And we didn't, we turned away a lot of folks and passed them off to other clients of ours who do help that. Um, but once we had about a dozen of those come through, we're like, there's something here. <laughs> the light bulb went on. <laughs> yeah. And, and they as we, asking. and as we dug in, you know, started asking questions and learning about their pain points and the story that we heard over and over was, Hey, my mom or dad passed away about a year, year and a half ago me and my siblings inherited this property. I was the one that was put in charge of figuring out what to do with it. Um, I, and I drew the short straw. That's exactly. And and we don't know where to start because none of those folks live close to the property. Um, they don't have relationships with anyone locally near that property and they don't want to get taken advantage of. Well, and they probably don't know much about farming since they left the farm. No, I mean, our first um, transaction that had gone through the platform landowner that we had helped, um, he was a chiropractor in Omaha. Uh, owned farm ground down in South Central Iowa, Page sure. County. Sure. And so he hadn't hardly been back to the farm. He, he hasn't helped on the farm, you know, for almost two decades. And yep. um, his dad passed away and he's looking for help. And it's really exciting when we're able to help those folks and get them connected with the buyer and just make it a simple, easy process where they can do it in a self-serve way that they know they're not getting taken advantage of because they have the data, they have the information. Um, that's that's really rewarding. You know, I want to I want to touch on something uh, to the to a side. You know, you mentioned there's these large scale private equity companies that buy up land, and most people in Iowa's picture when they think of that as somebody in, on the 58th floor of a building in New York City, <laughs> you know, with a bank of computers in front of them arbitraging land and the bad person, you know, mm-hmm. the the Gordon Gecko of the world, and it's like. <laughs> Um, I know of three of those here in the two county area of story in mm. Polk. There are people here. Yeah. And well, a lot of them are right here with us. There are neighbors that are large scale investors in farmland. They are. And they have the same values as your neighbors do, which is really interesting. You know, I grew up on a fifth generation family farm. Right. Um, we've throughout my entire life tried to grow our operation. When I was a kid, we we're milking 80 cows. Uh, when I was in high school, we're milking 300 cows. Said we're milking 600 cows. The next iteration of the farm, uh, we have to build a new parlor to milk the cows out of. And so, for the first time as in my grandpa's life, as he's been building the operation, he has to stop and ask himself, what type of business are we building? Because right. we're really turning to that next stage of business. Along with that, you know, my family struggled getting access to farm ground um, right. and being able to build up more acres that we can produce more feed for our cattle. Um, but then even right now um, in the agricultural um, economy, you know, times are a little bit tougher. Um, yeah. A lot of um, bankers are telling farmers that you need to decrease debt, which is their nice way of saying you need to sell some ground. You're over leveraged. Um, um, and that's where our family's farm was actually back in January. My dad called and said, hey, um, we're looking to sell our ground. We're looking for a private investor so we can lease it back. You know, right. We don't need you know, all of our neighbors in our business. We're not liquidating. We're not, right. you know, going out of business. We just need some assistance for this time being. And it was just a small amount of land. Too, it, yeah, it was just 60 acres. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's the story of a lot of farmers mm-hmm. that we're hearing. And so it's interesting because in that world, in this future where we are moving towards, you know, the, the private equity land investment funds, land investors, um, who are willing to buy the farm and rent it back to you, mm-hmm. um, can, can help a lot. Well, it frees up a ton of capital. It, it does. And and really, that's where, you know, we sit down and, you know, over holidays, and we're talking about family business. We ask ourselves, you know, are we in the dairy business? Or are we in the real estate business? Because mm-hmm. we have a lot of assets, and you know, a lot of and, money tied up the, in those assets. And the answer is yes. <laughs> it's like we're in both right now. We are, um, we are. You know, we go back and forth every holiday of which one are we going to push the lever on moving forward? And right. what's that mix look like? Um, but yeah. the, the reality is the future of, of farming, uh, the future of, you know, the 
the agricultural real estate asset class, um, it's just going to look a little bit different and have yeah, right. different people playing in this space. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for everyone who, who engages with it. Well, let's face it. When I was, you know, 50 years ago, when I was a boy, um, the average farmer was farming 160 to 250 acres, right? 160, 240, maybe 320. Mm-hmm. That was about as much as you could handle. I have a friend whose family's been farming five, six generations. and They own 20,000. Mm-hmm. They farm 10,000 more. Mm-hmm. They do it with like five people. Yeah. I mean, the dynamic has changed. It oh, isn't the farm that it used to be. Absolutely. Uh, well, and, and they operate, you know, farms have always been uh, businesses. My grandma um, always says, you know, farming is more than a business. It's a way of life. And, mm-hmm. and that's really, really true. And what's interesting as you get further and further down the road uh, into the future, if you want to maintain that way of life, you need to operate it like a business. Yeah. Right. And so they go hand in hand and um, they're really um, in my home county, Osceola County, Northwest Iowa, you know, the biggest businesses in the entire county are farms. Oh, of course they are. Um, farms and, and the co-ops that support them. Uh, exactly. And it's interesting because a lot of people just don't think about it like that. Um, but these are, you know, families, these are businesses, these are folks that want to get started and, and grow and, and care for the land sure. and produce food. Um, and it's it's not, you know, a, a little red barn and, you know, some <laughs> yeah. cows frolicking in the pasture and this yeah, When you say build a parlor, we're not, talk, we're not talking about an 800 square foot front room. <laughs> yeah, no, or 200 it, square foot front room. And right? we do mar- milk our barn. It's So it's interesting. So it's over 100 years old. Yeah. Um, we've renovated it in my lifetime at least three times. So probably more than that. Um, and we're we're milking as many cows out of it as we can. And I know my, my grandpa, who's getting closer to that retirement age, um, I think he'd be hard pressed to see us not milking that barn while he's still there. Uh, but I know my dad and uncle are really itching at the bit and saying, all right, what does it look like for that next generation, um, you know, and to grow this and, and yeah. build the business even more. So yeah. it's, it's exciting. And there's a lot of opportunity in ag for folks that can understand the business of it. Yeah. So if we go all the way back to the beginning, was this, it sounds like this is an idea you were worked on for, or was in your head for a long time. When, when did you first really start thinking about this? That's a great question. Um, I actually, so I, I journal a lot and yeah. put ideas in a notebook. And I think it was a post I had put in uh, my notebook of January 2015. Okay. Um, is it 2015 or 2014? Yeah. Um, so five years ago, roughly? Yeah, roughly. And what was interesting at that point in time, I was just brainstorming, hey, what are um, either technologies I think ag could use or what are pain points and problems that I've experienced sure. personally or my family experiences and it was just one little bullet point out of dozens, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a lot of things. But there's been some monumental, very influential moments um, that have been kind of seeds that have influenced what is now Farmland Finder. Um, one of them was the experience just back in January with my dad saying, hey, we've got to find yeah, of course. You know, someone to sell some ground. That's that's pretty monumental. I remember when I was a kid, um, like I mentioned, our, our dairy was growing. We we're trying to find more acres. And I remember one time that my dad came home. He was really frustrated because our, pro- our neighbor's property um, had sold. And we didn't even didn't know even that know it was selling. It. Yeah. Um, and he was frustrated um, just because, you know, land doesn't come up for sale that often. No, and you want to be able to have bat if if there's an opportunity. Right. Um, so I know that was that was really frustrating. Um, so were yeah. you were you at Iowa State when you first started working on this? You were in college, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I was at Iowa State and um, it was my junior year. I had interned 
Um, so I took a year off of college. Um, I was a national FFA officer, future farmers of America. Um, and during that year I got to travel around the country meeting with, uh, agricultural education students and teachers and, Mm -hmm. um, doing visits with FFA foundation and raising money. And when I was doing some visits with, um, they call individual giving. So high net worth individuals, most of those folks had, um, either ran businesses or started businesses of their own. And that's what turned me on to entrepreneurship. The mindset that, Oh, sure a lot of these people had and people I respect and really looked up to is they felt that the values that they have and the way they see the world and the passions, they're able to channel that through a business and yeah. create the biggest impact possible. A lot of people were very driven on this is how I can have the biggest influence in the world is by um, creating a business and having a successful business. And so that kind of gave me a little bit of an itch of it. I came back to Iowa State um, that next semester, walked into the College of Ag. There was a poster that said Ag Entrepreneurship Initiative. I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was, but I'm like, I think that's like business ownership. And so I walk in um, to the office and I said, hey, I'm looking for an internship. I want an internship where I work side by side with the owner of a business. Um, And that was March of um, 2015. And... Um, she said, well, it's March, you're a little late to get an internship for the summer, but I'll see what I can find. And, uh, there ended up being, um, one founder who was had an internship position open through the Ag Entrepreneurship Initiative program, interned with them for the summer, learned all about, you know, market research and validating, um, sure. processes and what, what's an MVP and, and got was, to learn. Was that a startup or were they it, farther down the road? It was, it was a startup, very okay. early stage okay. startup. And I got to learn without having any of the risk mm-hmm. <laughs> myself and I got paid. I was an intern. It was pretty great. A paid intern. It was, Internship, it was even good. better. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I got back to Iowa State um, that next semester, took Kevin Kimley's Econ 334. Did that put you into the Ag Startup Engine or was that around then? Uh, so that happened maybe um, a few, a year or two after that. Okay. So that put me on the, the pipeline. So it's really interesting. So at, at the College of Ag and, and Kevin Kimley. And yeah, Kevin's kind of the, the center of the College of Ag entrepreneurial world. He, he, he really is. is. He's, I mean, and he's really, I and mean, he's an interesting person. Person. A lot of people don't realize this, um, but he's had two successful startups yep. himself, successfully exited. And mm-hmm. um, I have a really strong thesis that in order for the Iowa startup you know, environment or ecosystem or whatever you want to call it, the best way that any one of us founders can um, really make a big difference in it is to be as wildly successful as we can. Because yeah. uh, then that gives us the ability to give back in a lot of knowledge ways, a lot of financial ways, a lot of mentorship ways. And that's exactly what Kevin Kimley's doing and, yeah. and what and he's that's, done. And you're not unique in that. That's exactly what Brad Feld says in startup communities is mm. you, you create the ecosystem. He calls them leaders and feeders. Mm. And feeders not a negative. Feeders the people that feed the environment, which is something I do. Leaders are the people that have built the companies or are building the companies. They have to take the lead in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fundamental of his, and he's proven it right in Boulder and around the world with tech stars. So, yeah. So with was ISU supportive of your venture? Yeah, very supportive. Um, Kevin had to keep me in school long enough to graduate, um, which is <laughs> your the battle were, that he And your always, parents were pleased. Were they paying uh, him off on the side pleased. to keep you? Yeah, parents <laughs> were kidding. pleased. That's good. Um, but it was really, yeah, it was really great because it was the summer of, it was actually when I was interning with that um, other startup, um, kind of the last pivotal moment that really solidified this problem space. I was at a farmland auction actually with my dad. Um, back up in the home area 
And uh, as I looked around the room, the auctioneer up at the front, he had printed off a picture of the farm he had taken on his phone from the side of the road. And that was really the only bit of data that um, was available. Um, and there, there's nothing about how does it sit in the current market? How does it benchmark against others? What's one picture from the was, side of the road with a cell phone? Yeah. And it's, you know, almost $2 million farm. Uh, you know, it's just Ugh. in a world where, you know, data and information's at your fingertips. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, that information is just not available in the farmland space. And so that's what we set out to do. I started working through what I would say business model, um, iterating customer validation through Kevin Kimley's class that year, right. um, participated in venture school actually the next year through okay. uh, the university of Iowa. Right. Um, and the re- way I got into that actually was through a startup weekend. Um, so it's all these startup events that, yep. you know, around, um, we ended up winning a startup weekend, um, you know, that year and the, the winners, the winning team, um, automatically got accepted to venture school. So nice. went through venture school, um, was kind of playing around with the idea and seeing what this could be. Um, and then it was through the Iowa Economic Development Authority. We had a couple of paid customers. We were able to get okay. uh, the proof of commercial relevance funds oh, okay. um, and really push things forward from there. And, and then I got to this point in my college career where I was studying agricultural education. Mm-hmm. I had a minor in entrepreneurial studies. Um, I had to decide if I was going to student teach or not. Yeah. Um, and I'm someone who I get very, uh, when I focus on something, I get very dedicated to it. And <laughs> you have good focus. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if they, my family calls it stubborn, but, well, um, that's another yeah, word focus for it. is, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, but I had to sit down with my, um, Dr. Ritalik, my advisor and, um, sit down and see what, what am I going to do my last semester? Am I going to student teach or not? And I knew I couldn't do both and give them the attention that they needed and required. Right. Um, and, and I wouldn't be able to do it. And so, uh, decided, well, at that point in time, this business opportunity had come and I felt like that's what, um, the opportunity I had to take. And so really started running with that graduated, um, college, you know, that next semester and have been full-time on it ever since. Sure. So, um, we talked about some of the key people from ISU that you look to for support. You're now mentoring at ISU. In fact, I think you mentor in the Size Starters program. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever see yourself like a four or five year younger version of yourself in these people you're talking to? <laughs> uh, I or feel hear yourself. Yeah, well, it's interesting, and you might appreciate this. Um, you know, having been through you know, the cycles of a career longer than I have is I feel like I've learned a heck of a lot. And when I think back when I was at Iowa state or in the egg EI program or at size starters, um, like, man, that was a very different, you know, place and iteration and version of Steven, um, and his understanding. And, um, but then I feel like today, like we're just getting started, you know, and we've come a long ways. Um, so it's, it's really fun. That to be feeling able to... doesn't go away. <laughs> I, I remember sitting there staring at our company was going to do, I, I want to say somewhere between 950 million and a billion uh-huh. for, for revenue. Yeah. And as a head of marketing, I'm sitting there going, how do I grow that 15% next year? It's like, oh man, we're just getting started on this. We got to grow a lot. <laughs> you know? So it doesn't go away. Oh, and there's excitement that comes with that. There is. Yeah, and it's it's great to be able to go. I was actually back at Iowa State um, a week or two ago, and there's a there's this group. Um, I think through the College of Business and um, the College of Ag, kind of a partnership called the Change Makers Academy. Hmm. So a lot of students that participate in those types of programs that the university offers. Um, so they came in, and all of them were given a list of words, random words, and they had to put together a business pitch, uh, kind of based off of you know, oh, Techstars fun. pitch format. And so for 45 minutes, they had to iterate and they had to come up with the problem, the solution, the value prop, what the model was, do some initial market research. 
And they told me I was the Simon Cowell of the panel. So I was supposed to listen and give my honest feedback. Um, and so it's just fun to so you know, for, participate. For, for me, who doesn't watch that show, what is, what is it about Simon? <laughs> uh, so he's someone who um, he either, if he loves you, he'll tell you that he loves you. Um, if he doesn't, he's pretty just direct. Uh, but even if he does love you, he's got a, a stick to him where he's just tells you honestly, hey, yep. this is this is what I think of it. Um, mm-hmm. It was just so exciting because these students, um, you know, they're just getting started. And, and the question and really in college um, for a lot of the students is, well, what career am I going to go into and what does that look like? And there's a lot of, especially in Iowa, in ag, there's some really incredible like world-class internships that you can participate oh my gosh, in. Yes, within 50 miles do, of the campus, you can oh, it's crazy. touch it's, most of the ag world. It's, it's incredible. Um, in the same token, if you're going to be starting a business that touches the ag world, there's an incredible wealth of knowledge and expertise and networks right here in central Iowa. And so part of this Changemakers Academy is to get these students to think, hey, what could it look like to be innovative? What could it look like to start your own business? Um, and so I love getting the chance to go back and share with those students because that's where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I wish there was more programs that I could plug into. Um, you, know, you don't have the time then. anymore. And now, literally, <laughs> and that's where you talk about community events. And I think it's interesting. You know, I've got... Um, you know, friends who, you know, help run 1 million cups in the area and do other things. And, you know, my head, especially for the past 12 months has been nose to the grindstone down, you know, building, 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 Build company. um, you know, and at some point in time, you'll be able to bring head up and start plugging into some of these things I do where I can really provide value, um, as well. I, you'll probably find like most of the people that are in a growth mode as you pick one or two things you're passionate about and say, mm-hmm. I'm going to focus here. I know a couple entrepreneurs <laughs> in the area who have written posts on their public blog saying, these are the two things I'm going to focus on. I've got to run my business, but I'm going to do these two. And that's all right. Yeah, that's great. So speaking, speaking of early stage, you, when did you first raise money and how much did you raise, if you wouldn't mind saying? Yeah, so we raised, um, it's about a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, we call it an angel round. Uh, we raised um, $265,000 in convertible debt. Okay. And um, through some state loans and programs, we about matched that oh, okay. um, with, um, you know, economic development right. loans as well. And so about a half million dollar okay. um, round of capital. So what was that experience like you for you the first time? You <laughs> uh, it's like uh, hitting your head against the wall. Um, mm-hmm. yep. So for the first six months of attempting to raise capital and not doing it very well, um, I realized I was targeting the wrong group of people entirely. Yeah. Um and I didn't realize that. Um, you know, I tried to ask people and learn as well as quickly as I could. Um, I thought, hey, we're touching farmland. That's, you know, got a lot of high net worth individuals touching that asset class, investing in it. Right. Let's go talk to a bunch of our clients who are farmland owners. Um, you know, it comes to turn out, you know, they're not looking at multiples of returns of revenue. They're looking at percents of returns revenue mm-hmm. and just the profile of uh, right. and risk tolerance for their investments is completely different world than, you know, high risk, you know, startup investing. Um, it's and so, totally different profile, <laughs> very different. And so yeah. once we shifted, um, realized, okay, we're targeting the wrong people, um, started really finding success, leaning into my network. Um, asking for introductions, asking for referrals, which I thought I was doing that before, but realized I wasn't really asking for people to to help point me in the right direction. Right. Um, and then we were able to move fairly quickly. You know, um, about half of our angels that invested were actually clients of mine. Nice. Um, people who believe in what we're doing, they're using the product, they see the potential for it. That was one really good relationship building, really good validation um, sure. that here's some of the best in the industry believe in what we're doing and want to invest. 
Um, you know, and then the other half came from referrals from people who said, Hey, Steven's onto something. I can vouch for him. Um, you're really smart. You've built several businesses and invested in successful Take businesses. Check it out. And so, yep. you know, it's interesting because it just takes one person, one referral to really get things moving. And I have seen a single referral take through their subsequent. So one person referred someone and that person that was referred in brings their friends and suddenly they fill 80% of the round. Yeah. And one call. Yeah. It's figuring out which one's the one call. <laughs> so going back to your product, one of the most intriguing aspects that I find is the ability of a seller of a property to receive a certified cash offer for their land in a matter of days. Tell us more about this. Yeah. Yeah. When we look at some of those pain points that those absentee landowners shared with us. Um, one, you know, they struggle knowing what the actual value of their property is. Sure. Um, two, um, from a handful, there's this sense that if they're reaching out to a consultant or a broker or an auctioneer, um, you know, th- it feels like you know their objective is to help make the ground sell, um, but they're missing some of this consultative advice, or they don't have really true third-party, unbiased resource of information to. Um, for a second opinion. And so in that process, you know, it's on average today, it takes 90 days for a property to sell and then for, it takes about 45 days for the property to close. <laughs> and so it can be a long transaction cycle. Um, yeah. And for these landowners who don't understand that, they, they don't touch it. They just want, hey, that's just, I want to sell. I made the decision that's making it as easy as possible. Yeah. Um, those are the folks that we can help. And so this offers program, what we do is we built up this network in our I have a growing network of buyers who have shared through our platform a profile of what they're looking for, what criteria of, of land, the profile. They've shared how much capital they have ready to deploy, how quickly they can do that, what their process is. And since we have that sitting uh, in the hopper, when someone comes through and requests an offer, we're able to leverage all this data we've gathered to put together an automated packet, um, make connections between the matches. And now the seller of that ground um, has access, a level playing field to discuss price and valuation is what these really sophisticated investors do because we have all this data and information and we can make those connections happen quickly and get to close as fast as possible. So what is a fast close? So for us, we take that 90 days average listing. Um, you know, our quickest has been three days. Yeah. Um, so cut that down drastically. And then the closing process, uh, we're still working through that and bringing on some additional team members to refine and how do we cut that 45-day process down when you have to work with lenders and That's appraisers and other yeah. folks. Um, you know, we're working with and having conversations with some really um, interesting players in that space to see what partnerships and strategic partnerships might be available to help streamline that part of the process. Um, but we feel really solid about, like I said, the first half, and, and now we're kind of chipping away at the second half. Well, so if you can almost virtually eliminate the first half, the first 90 days, the second 45 doesn't look so bad, but I can <laughs> see why you'd want to bring it in lower. Mm-hmm. So that really does take away the whole thing you were talking about with the earlier auction where the, the current tenant sits at the front and they're the only mm-hmm. bidder because really it puts it out there. And, it it and does. And what we learned too, when we watch auctions, um, it's fun to go sit in a room, go and do it. If you haven't, um, is on average, you'll have about five or six people bidding on a property. Uh, once it gets to about half of the value or two thirds of the value that will actually sell for, it gets down to two, maybe three bidders. Right. And so our objective at Farmland Finder, there's two sides of it. You know, it's one, we don't have to get it in front of the broadest audience possible. We just need to get it in front of the right six people possible. Absolutely. Oh, six would be wonderful in a lot of cases. Yeah. And when you look at that, you know, that's something that through technology and, and through just 
having a deep and rich understanding of one, the profile of land and two, the profile of these buyers, um, we're able to make those connections really quickly. So you grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. a dairy farm, which is probably one of the hardest kinds of farm to work because you work <laughs> seven days a week. That's what they tell me. 20 hours a day. Uh, or I think you get four hours of sleep. I can't remember. <laughs> um, did it, what was that like and how did it prepare you or did it prepare you for running a company? That's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so one phrase my grandpa always says is cows got to be milked. Now, it doesn't matter if it's rain and shine, if you want to, if you're sick, if you're not, you know, then the cows got to be milked. And when you're running a business, um, there's a lot of things that you really enjoy that you love doing. And for me, it's the strategy. It's the, um, you know, the relationship building, it's setting the vision and motivating people. Um, you know, there's things that you don't enjoy doing like the books and accounting and mm-hmm. logging everything and, you know, the tiny details, um, but cows got to be milked. And so there's just a lot of lessons, you know, that growing up on the farm that um, are very alike to having your own business. Other thing is, you know, it's not a regular, you know, nine to five work day. Um, and it comes and goes. And back to my grandma said, it's a way of life. Um, the reason that entrepreneurship is also partially a way of life is because it's almost has to be in order for you to make that business succeed. Um, it'd be really hard pressed, you know, or I haven't figured out how to, at this point in building the business, you know, just start at nine, get done at five and start to make it happen. Cause there's a lot that happens at all hours of the day yeah. that need to be done. Well, and you know, it's funny because there was that nine to five world, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago when I was first coming out of college. I think for most people, even in uh, the people that I work with here at the partnership, you can say we show up at 830 and go home at five, but I can tell you a whole bunch of people that are on their email in the evening or in the morning. And, you know, part of it's flexing your schedule, but part of it is that's just the world we're in. It moves faster now. Well, it is. And I think it's also... And one thing I really get excited about, you know, cause it can sound pretty drab if like, oh, you're going to be working all the time and this and that. Well, the other thing is, you know, if your passions and values and interests are so aligned with what you're doing, oh, it's fun. then it, it is a joy and it is fun. And you're able to fit in, you know, I'm able to do really incredible things um, because of the flexibility of the schedule, but still get the deliverables and work done that needs to happen. Right. Um, and so it's just, you know, what, what type of life do you want to live and how do you build a career that, you know, has the impact that you want and gives you the life that you want. And so it's a fun thing that's not easy to figure out. And you go through a lot of seasons, you know, like right now, primarily or historically, you know, I've been, um, you know, working out of co-working spaces and working out of home and um, right. we're going to be scaling up the team quite a bit here over the winter. And so we'll be moving into the office and oh, Steven's, an office. Steven's daily uh, workflow is going to be looking a little bit different. Um, and that's all exciting. It's all yeah. the seasons of life and change that um, yeah. as you progress through life cycles of business. So I assume your parents were entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, trying new things and failing. What did that teach you about failure? Yeah, well, my uh, dad is a farmer. Um, my my mom is a school teacher, high school art education. Um, and so any creativity that um, I have, definitely attribute that to my mom. Um, you know, and, Your and, father won't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I, he's not going to like that. I say you know, I get the, the stubborn nature, the hardworking nature, the focused nature from him. You know, but it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, my entire family in general, Generations family for the most part are up on the farm in Northwest Iowa, right. um, you know, working to, to build that business and, and they love it. And so the lessons that you learn, you know, as someone is doing what they love and willing to do things or have a tolerance for, for risk or for 
um, disappointment um, or setbacks. You know, mm-hmm. And then also tolerance to really work through those. Um, it, it just builds these traits in you over time that um, so when I'm mentoring these kids, um, these students, you know, at Sci Starters or at Iowa State, they do look like kids a few years later. <laughs> yeah, don't the they? students. Yeah. I'm, no, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> Believe me, um, they you know, really, I'm 58. They really look like kids <laughs> to me. Um, but what's great is, you know, there's some people who they just have the traits that you know they're going to find success no matter what they're doing yeah, in find their something. life. And um, those are the types of traits that you you have to have to be an entrepreneur and really be able to build a highly scalable business. So what's next for Farmland Finder? Yeah, great question. Um, One, in a very practical sense, a lot of growth. Um, From a really big picture sense, you know, our mission now, it's not to make the world's farmland information accessible, but it's to make farmland sales simple, instant, and online. And we see us in this platform um, and and the data and the network effects that are starting to be built um, to have potential be a category winning business and fundamentally change how people interact with, you know, agricultural real estate as an asset class. And so, you know, what's next is and we'll be pursuing unrelentlessly until farmland sales literally are simple and instant where you pull up your phone, click buy now and the deed is transferred uh, to your name. It should be done in a couple of clicks. um, And that's what we're pushing towards. Makes perfect sense. Well, Stephen Broxus, thank you for being on Startup Stories. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Small Business and Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa at dsmpartnership.com slash small business. Thanks for listening.